Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. And it's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvellous. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Few Podcasts with me, Boo, and my rock star co-host there, uh, Shawnee. How are you, mate? Awesome, mate. Great to be back. It is great always. to be back. Yeah, we're in uh, person, three dimensional. <laughs> I can actually touch you. I oh, know it's been a while away from that virtual arena. I feel a bit nervous when I get out of the get out of home nowadays. I'm one of those people that kind of has to take baby steps as I walk out on the footpath. Uh, interesting. Coming at uh, the few from a different angle today, we haven't really gone into the sports uh, performance yet. We've got, uh, I think, Patrick coming on soon. He's got a little bit of a, a sport tilt to, to what he does. Uh, and we're going to have a, a talk uh, today about uh, high performance in sport. We're looking at uh, an elite sporting team, and we're super lucky to have uh, head of performance for the Manly Warringah Seagulls in here today. Uh, good mate of mine, Donnie Singe. G'day, Donnie. Thanks, mate, for coming on the show. Welcome, Donnie. Hello. How are you, Boo? How are you, Sean? Awesome. Thank you. Good, mate. So, uh, mate, you've just come from training? Just came home from training now. So, um, so as you know, Boo, uh, firsthand, it's, it's pre-season. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's all hands on deck and it's just go, go, go. So uh, lots, of, lots of action, lots of uh, physicality, lots of uh, mental application and a, and a ton of data to get through to make sure that we're uh, staying on track. So, so Donnie, not really much of an off-season this year. Uh, you're obviously part of the NRL. Uh, the NRL is uh, one of our big football leagues here in Australia. Uh, we've just uh, come out of the season heavily disrupted during COVID. Uh, what's it been like, uh, Donnie? How's, how has professional sport like the NRL endured uh, during COVID? You know what? It's um, We've all gone to uh, different types of uh, action stations. You know, we've had to build citadels. We've had to isolate. We've had to... Uh, Change the entire way that we um, that we train and how we mix with people. We've had to, you know, take take whole teams and training uh, environments and then put them into bubbles. Um, and then not only that, we've had to deal with individuals, with players, with young players who are suddenly now um, become isolated themselves and they can't mix with their families and they can't. So we've had a tremendous amount of um, of a shakeup in both um, in both the sport in the application of our training. Um, in the way we travel to and play games, in the way um, games have been, uh, um, you know, uh, done without without any spectators, and and then at the end of the day, you know, that athlete that we um, that we work so hard with, and it works to such a high intensity of uh, physicality and mental levels every day, and then we're sending them home to an environment that doesn't have all the comforts of um, of, uh, of other human beings for a start, and. Um, and, and the simple things in life, you know, we, we're no different from anybody else. We know everybody has been through this, but, um, you know, the difference we have is that we have not changed what is required each day um, for competitive sport. So it's a lot of intensity, a lot of intensity, and then not really escaping from from the downtime. It's, I guess, if it was a, a commercial environment, it'd be like working in the office and sleeping in the office uh, every day. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be like working in the office, sleeping in the office and, and the same pe- people every day in the office. And then, you know, going through a process every morning where you uh, where you literally um, buddied up and checked each other's health, status, 
and uh, you know, and well-being, and 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 that's and while that sounds lovely, man, you do that every day and um, grind you down, grind you down. It's one of those things we've seen a lot of in in 2020 is the is the whole mental health um, component of it is that. We're as human beings, we're herd, we're herd uh, mammals. So we, we, you know, we love to be around our the people that we love and and our friends and all the rest of it. Uh, but one thing that the the COVID and the lockdowns and the restrictions and obviously with with uh, you know the professional sporting arena, you've got to protect them from other people in the other environment so they don't bring it into the team. But have you seen that? You know, where have you seen that impact? I suppose in a, in the the, you know, the the mindset of your of your players. You know, I, I think the main thing has been, um, you know, it, it's been the truest form of compliancy that we've ever seen in in terms of um, not only the responsibility of, of having to, to get through that checklist of um, temperature check and filling out your wellness and filling out your, um, your whereabouts for the last 24 hours into every detail. Um, and also, you know, just, just how they plan, you know, so people, they can't go and socialise. I think the biggest thing I've seen is a is a real shift in realizing the responsibility of of that and getting that real taste of um you know this is uh, this is serious stuff and and it's stuff that only you can do um, the coaches can't help you you have to maintain and adhere to these rules or or, or or you know or it's it's over for you and quite possibly by by breaching those um, those rules, it could be over for the entire team, and then by breaching that rule, it could be over for the entire competition. Yeah, it's heady stuff, isn't it? Real character uh, building stuff. So, Donnie, give us a little bit of an insight, mate. What uh, what does the uh, head of performance do, and what's your history in terms of coming into this role? Is what you do today uh, something that you always thought that you were going to do? You know, you know, it isn't, but it, it's um, as you know, I, I am ex-military. I I spent time in the Royal New Zealand Navy and. And, That's uh, okay, mate. You're, 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 still, you're, you're still a reasonable bloke. Do you want to put a gag in so quickly? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll put money as one I've never heard before. <laughs> but um, but, but uh, what I do today, I think it's not so much that I wanted to do it. It seems like an almost organic, natural transition and evolution that I, I you know, I, I left the military and I had, an, a, I believed, a, an abundance of absolutely useless skills. Um because I'd been living on frigates and, and you know, and part of IS platoons and boats and done all this stuff. And what the hell does that happen? What does that do with Civvy Street? You know, what are you going to do, run around? And so, but you know what? I, I quite early in my, my life realised that it wasn't so much um, what I learned. It wasn't so much the skills that I picked up in the military. What was most important was how I turned up every day and my mindset to connect to those skills how I got to, uh, you know, do these things that that perhaps um, normal people or, or civilian life, you know, the demands that were placed upon them physically and mentally, and and the intensity and the and the integrity of having to to work in units and groups, and those were the skills that I had. They were innate, you know, internal personality skills. They were innate internal application skills. So it wasn't about whether you could use weaponry or whether you could drive boats or whether you could, you know, run a jack's day or whether you could do the the helo and flight deck. It wasn't about that. What it was about, which which I believe was was um, quite instrumental in my success to transition from the military into civvy street, it was about why and how um, I did those things. When was it that you found that passion start to really thrive in the concept of you know, peak performance and working with other people to develop themselves? You know, you know, if I can be really um, 
honest with you, and, and the story I'd tell you next is probably a story that every serviceman and is going to say is that, you know, when I left the military, um, uh, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, which is a fantastic indication of just how great a person I am. <laughs> and, uh, and I must be pretty good at other things too, because, you know, she's doing it. Yeah. Anyway. You've got a couple of sons. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, one of the things she said to me was um, all this energy, you know, I was in my early 20s. Um, there's all this energy and, and this drive and, uh, you know, however you wanted to look at it, you know, what the hell are you going to do with that? Because, because you're going to have to, you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to contain that somehow. And, and, it, and it was then that, um, you know, one of the things that I was always good with was physical things. I was you know, a very fit, um, a very fit and, and enthusiastic individual in that area. So, so literally I made a decision that, um, and it was part by mistake and then part by, by, by um, process that I would use my personality and my physical fitness to create a niche for myself where people could engage me and, and I and I get paid for that. And um, a lot of that came about by by mistake. And well, when I say mistake, I mean people who who recognized that and were able to draw on my energy and then thought, you know, oh, we'll keep this guy around and, and now, we, now we'll pay him to be there. And I think that's when I really started started feeling my connection to people and feeling that um, that I could uh, I, I could do a good job in this area with um, helping people to buy into whatever they believed in and they wanted or helping groups to buy in to um, programs that be, were being run for them and so I could help them succeed at those whether you think of selection or whichever and then finally um, being attractive to um, corporate and 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 coaches and other sporting organisations who said, um, you know, th- this guy has a an ability to to help us deliver um, these programs to um, to the athletes or, or people. So, uh, Donna, you've been in high performance uh, coaching, running HPUs, uh, high performance units for quite a while now. Uh, tell us a little bit about little Donny uh, growing up. <laughs> what, what was it like, mate? What, what was it like in terms of where did you get that physicality and drive and determination and, uh, you know, um, energy from? You just summed it up, Boo, because I didn't get much bigger than the hand that you put up there. You know that. <laughs> so, you know, all we short guys are just angry, angry, you know. And we've all got tips on our shoulders. Everyone else can wake up the next morning and things have changed, but we're still short. <laughs> so obviously we're gonna be the angry. intrinsic motivator of the few, yeah. <laughs> And then you add on to that, I'm black, so you can know. Right? I'm telling you, <laughs> things aren't going to be good for anybody who gets in my way. You, you know, I, um, um, I, I wasn't the greatest academic. I didn't go to university until I was in my late 20s, and I, and I, I only just got my master's in, in coaching and education, um, you know, a, a couple of years back. So when it comes to uh, academics and schooling and, and um, the intelligence type things, um, I wasn't a leader in that field at all when I was at high school. However, I, I can remember teachers saying to me, I can remember Mr. Bainbridge in, in particular, and I can remember him saying to me, you know, oh, I don't know what, what you're going to do, mate. I don't know what you're going to do when you leave, but you'll be good at it. And I also, you know, so, so I, I, I like to believe because I come from a family and I, uh, of um, seven kids and, and parents and we all grew up there and, and um, you know, um, I believe that I was probably lucky and that I had a lot of good development in uh, emotional IQ. And, and, I, and I think that really helped me. And I know I've said this word a few times, it's popped out with connection, 
but I really believe even in the military I was able to connect well and um, I, I, I think that's even as a young fella coming through, I knew I wasn't going to be the intellect, um, but I but I do believe I had personality. I do believe I had lots of energy. Uh, I could run like a bugger, and 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 I could you know, I I was fit as a fiddle, so I could really um, I could really use those things, and um, and be that energetic person that that people wanted around. And then as I as I honed that craft into putting it into a process where um, you know, learning about PT, learning about exercise, learning about um, you know, how to apply yourself as a um, as an instructor that really um, that really punched me forward uh, as a foundation. And you've obviously worked with a, obviously a lot of people in in the high performance space. What is the difference? What's the difference you see with somebody who's trying to crack in and be a high performer, but they actually don't manage to get there? Where where, where do you feel? What lets them down? What's what's the what's that tipping point between someone go, breaking through and somebody not? You know, I think it's the same as with you guys. You know, you can have a tremendous amount of, of knowledge and you can have a tremendous amount of um, even application and you can have a tremendous amount of uh, ability and, and qualification. But in order, it's, it's, it's how you get those things across. It's how you, it, your, your experiences, I believe, will give you the skills to apply those things um, with individuals and with groups, and and it will teach you to read between the lines. I find that uh, um, there are there are plenty of successful um, high performance coaches who really stay inside that uh, the data type lane with the um, with the empirical knowledge and the and all the systems and the and the metrics, and they do a fantastic job. I think the difference is there's a few of us who are able to cross that line between the data, the metric, and the application of that into your program, your periodization. But we can also holistically view the development of an athlete or fellow coaches um, with their with their own self-evaluation, their own self-worth, um, their own self-esteem, helping them to, to learn, discover, and, and, and literally believe in what they are putting across that table to, to help the team get better. I, I really think that that's a... Um, that's a skill that uh, yeah we talk about explicit knowledge and 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 um, tacit and the explicit we know is that transferable knowledge where we where we read our books and we we do our study and that tacit that's the that's the stuff that's made up of experience um, and exposure to emotion exposure to tragedy exposure to you know the good things in life and and I think if you can as you equalize and find that balance I really believe that you you step forward. And I think the performance coaches who who hold their value as a conduit throughout entire um, coaching units, they they're capable of that type of of, of double explicit tacit type um, understanding. So, Donny, what about what about in a player? I, I mean, NRL, uh, football, union, you name it. Within any sport, within a team, there's a spectrum of capability. Within the entire uh, code. There is a spectrum of of ability over the years that you've been involved uh, in NRL. What's the breakthrough? What what is it that that makes a breakthrough player in a squad? You know, that's a really tough question because I've had um, if I, if I take someone like a Matty Ballin um, or a Matt Orford, you know, both both double premiership winners and four grand finals. Yeah, but the thing was, they were very very disciplined. They were very very. Um, you know, particular about their preparation, about 
um, how they responded to us, about their education, about how they um, how, how they integrated into the program. And then I take other athletes like a, like a Watmo and a Stewart, you know, and they were just absolute geniuses on the field, um, applied themselves, but in the areas that made their football better. Um, but both both types of players extremely valuable. So the one thing that I would say, and, and once again, I believe it's the same with you guys at your level, there's an ability in people to be going along about their business, to be able to do their social things and 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 have all sorts of emotions. And then and then when that bell goes or when that whistle goes, they switch. They they are able to put all of that aside for one moment and complete the task. And that's what I've found with the successful teams that I've worked with. Every one of those sides has had this ability to be um, almost aloof, almost, um, you know, disengaged, and then bang, they just, they just, they happen. And you don't, you don't, and the best example is, you know, I believe in any, um, any grand final team, any, any, any team playing finals, especially when you get to that pointy end of the, um, of the major semis and then the finals the actual grand final, you'll find that every single person in that, whether they're on the sideline or whether they're on the field, is absolutely focused, engaged and present. And whilst we talk about things like that and we say, you know, that's great business practice, that's great team building, that's great whatever, that's not a reality. You know, you guys fly, you know what it is. You know, two years flying, three years flying, ten years flying together, you know what that is. The difference between the athletes who... Um, get close, the difference between the athletes who become absolute champions and, and legends is that ability to switch on and be there when it counts. And and I, and I honestly, if you look at the players and if you look at, uh, I like to use grunts as an example, you know, the, the your special forces guy, they, you know, when they're on the job, fantastic. Pilots are probably the same. When they're on the job, when they're not on the job, they're on the end of the spectrum, you know. They're the guys you've got to go find. You've got to go look for them. You've got to go pull them out of the brig or wherever it is they are. But then when you want something done, bang, they're on. So when you, when you look at all of the teams you've been involved in, uh, whether it's uh, Manly, Bulldogs, uh, New Zealand, uh, the uh, New Zealand national team, what, what are the moments that you've observed where you've just gone, yep, I, I feel it. it's just – just come together and was there anything that led up to that or is it something that just happens by by magic it just appears what, what's the what have you seen as being a bit of a formula to achieve that level of focus to allow people to get into the zone and and work together as a completely unified unit and and then and then how does that come over because clearly those same habit patterns would be able to cross over into anything where there's a team of people working Absolutely. But I suppose I'm going to sound like a bit of a, a broken record when it comes to this because everybody says the same thing. It, it, but it is absolutely your leadership, your leadership groups. So so within each, um, you know, within each group, as you know, there's you have individuals and some individuals apply themselves, um, can apply themselves across different modalities of, of, of the team better than others. So, so some guys come in and they're, they're great at this. Some guys come in and they're great at these three things. And then you have these individuals who are great at about five things uh, in terms of their um, capability to, to um, communicate with the coach, 
capability to communicate with their trainers, capability to understand um, exactly what, what the periodization and training is, and the capability to work amongst um, the playing group. And in every team that I believe um, has had a successful compilation or, or constituent, it's it's been that. You definitely have um, four to five individuals who are able to to create a, a, a bar that all the other players you know, work hard to get to work hard, and they're very resilient, and they're and they're very um, compliant players in terms of what's required to get the job done. New Zealand, even like I've worked with uh, the Cook Island international sides, uh, um, Samoa, and and New Zealand Maori, and all those teams, the successful ones who've won their games, not so much what, not only just won their games, but had great culture, have have had that element. I could I can pull out four or five guys. Um, or athletes who are able to who are able to be very present and, and keep that group together. And I think that's the same thing. I mean, whether it's a sporting team or, or a business that has a team, it crosses over. It's the same thing as you say, leadership. That if the leadership is not strong within your team, your, your team overall are going to struggle. And I think it translates directly from sport to business to you know community groups to whatever it is. Anywhere where you require a level of leadership. Um, I think you're absolutely you know, hit the nail on the head there when it's it, you need to have those people that that have that perspective and then everyone else is shooting for you know as close to that bar as possible which is which is awesome so well, the uh, sorry you go well the other thing about those individuals Sean is that um, they're all really consistent mm. if you look at areas of their behavior and the way they present themselves every day um, they're consistent so if they're loose or if they're angry or if they're happy, there's always this um, threshold that we know they can go to. They're never mercurial. They never suddenly be a completely different person. So, um, and I think that's a part of good coaching too. I, I, you know, like that, that consistency of personality is really important because with that um, comes trust. And, and when I say consistency, I, I really, I'm, I am really talking about what the threshold is. So everybody knows I can be a real a-hole but they know where that ends. Everyone knows I can be fun. They know where that, that ends, but everyone knows where I can be cranky and they know where that ends. It, it doesn't suddenly take a, a massive spike or a giant leap, an exponential leap into some unusual thing. And that consistent, consistency creates this bond of trust between us. Yeah, it definitely creates certainty. That's it. Go place your point, mate. You love consistency. Yeah. Showing up. Oh, and definitely with my uh, with my inner circle group, that we call it my favourite C word, <laughs> consistency. <laughs> so, because uh, if you're not consistent, then you're not a very good leader, you know. And but again, how how you show up is more important than than what you're doing in a day to day when you're in a leadership role. You've got to show up in that consistent way. You've got to own it and and move forward. So that's great. That's fantastic. So what about bad leaders? Uh, Donny, what about losing? What about the what about the downside of playing uh, footy? What what's it like uh, when you're in an organisation or, or a team? They just can't seem to crack it. Getting you're on the back of the curve. Uh, what is it that's going on in those environments? How, how does it feel? And what, what are some of the things you've seen work to get people, you know, out of a funk? Because because uh, in COVID, there's a lot of that going on right now, and there's a lot of people that don't feel like winners. When you feel like a winner, everything's easy. What are you? What are some of your tips, mate, in terms of uh, of um, of bouncing back, of of being resilient, of surviving in a in an environment where winning's just not happening. Well, you know, that we talked about that consistency, but one of the other things is is that um, in a sports team, that's a very obvious sign of a disjointed um, disjointed unit. Now, the first thing that we believe you've got to do is you've got to find that bond. You've got to find a um, 
an element or, or you've got to find an environment where people can feel their voice, feel their place, feel an ability to um, to be heard. Because, and that sounds simple, but it's got to be a real, um, there's a, we talk about honesty sessions, we talk about all these things, but, you know, th- these are really crucial, crucial elements because I've been part of, uh, you know, as you say, a team, but when you look at each individual player, they're fantastic, you know, and they are good people. But once you, once you um, through either a lack of feedback or a lack of um, um, confidence in each other, you find these little gaps opening up. And once those gaps open up, people will revert to probably their most basic um, form of uh, security or self-security or, um, you know, and, and that's where you get problems. And, that, and that's what I've, and, uh, and the reason I picked that as an example is because as you go through a process of enabling individuals to speak their mind, find their trust, um, you definitely see, you definitely see a change and you definitely see um, progress carried onto the field. But it's got to start somewhere and um, it's always got to start from the top. And it's always going to start with creating a, uh, a platform or a forum where um, people can have that opportunity in a, in a secure, trusted, safe environment. I know that sounds all a bit hairy-fairy and whatnot, but you can do that with some really good strategies around, um, you know, how you, run your, how you run your videos, how you run your – it can be as simple as – going through training sessions and then getting feedback on that session and then isolating individuals to find out, you know, why they give that feedback. And then feedback is such a powerful, powerful um, way of having people engage in part and, and, and start to believe in, in process, you know, and that feedback, uh, whether it's positive or positive negative or positive as a, you know, with a, with a, a sorry, negative, the outcome constructive it, it, yeah. it people people crave that feedback and and whether that's through conversation discussion um presentation it it, it 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 doesn't matter but once you're once you open those lines and you enable them to be engaged in that um you you'll be really surprised how those increments of of sharing information lead to that trust element lead to you know people don't mind being told off they just want to know one um, how did you come to that decision? And two, how are you going to help me fix it? Pretty simple, really. Uh, your power of debriefing. There you go again. What went wrong? What can I do about it? Uh, Donnie, how quickly does it become cultural? If if you have a bit of a funk and a couple of players in there that can't seem to find that level above themselves, they don't have that self-awareness, how quickly does that start to become a cultural thing in a club rather, rather than a, a week-to-week thing? Um, okay, depending on that individual and their influence, so if that individual, if the individuals that you're talking about, if they have a negative, a negative aspect and they have a high influence and a low self-application, then you've got trouble. And it's going to come in, in a few weeks. It will definitely come in a few weeks, especially if they have high influence. If it's the other way around where they have low influence and a low application, you can sort of really, you can get in there and work with them as individuals and you can slow that down. But Poor characters in your team work fast, like the undercurrent of a river. They work very fast. So you need to identify um, how influential those characters are on the rest of the squad, and then you need to address those individuals as best you can with the methods we discussed before um, and try and either save them, 
um, you know, bring, bring them back into the fold, um, find out what it is that's making them unhappy, um, see where we can find common ground. But you have to do it very quickly because the answer to your question is it's fast, but it's fast. And it comes down to that self-awareness, isn't it? And, and identifying that, uh, identifying those traits uh, in, in others. And, and I guess one of the challenges for you, Donnie, is you're dealing with some really challenging individuals. Some guys would be super talented, but being talented doesn't necessarily mean you're a great person. Uh, and then you'll have great people that may not be that talented. And then you've got people coming into the club anywhere from 17 years of age up to, to 23. So you, you you must have a lot of pressure to mentor and grow as a unit very, very quickly, uh, as opposed to your average organization where you have a spread of experience on the execution side, anywhere from, you know, a college graduate 2022 uh, to your middle management in their, in their 40s. Uh, so what are some of the challenges with upskilling and creating a cohesive team year after year with such a, a young testosterone driven uh, group of individuals? You know, the two, you're always going to have the basic two. They either don't want to do enough or they want to do too much. So, so once again, you know, we when we when we design when we design programs, pre-season periodization, you know, we always present as much as we can to that individual to remind them why they're there. You know, how does this help you get to this point? In my example, I've got Des and the other coaches. You know, Des wants you to do this. How do I get you to where Des wants you? And we always we always work with them around. Here is the purpose now. Um, the innate thing about athletes is that they, they have the skill already or else they wouldn't be there in front of me. So half my job's done easily. Now what I have to do is produce the capacity in that athlete to deliver what's required in that competitive um, arena at the level that's required. So now we're all about, we, we really do make it about them. So we break them down as individuals and we just consistently work on them about What's good for you? You know, all those measurements, all those tests, everything we do, this means that you are capable of being here. That's all it means. It means you have the capacity to return every day and take the training that we're putting into you, go home, refuel, regenerate, rejuvenate, and come back. That's all that means. And that's a long season too, right? You've got to motivate kids to do that for nearly nine, 10 months of the year, right? There's no, there's no let up. There is no let up at all. And look, that brings me to, to an interesting point because, you know, when you have your vets, when you have your, you know, guys who have done more than more than three or four pre-seasons, you know, their, their bodies, their condition, their internally, their fibres, their muscles, their, you know, their physiology, um, they're made for the whack because they've been exposed to so many years of NRL, 26 rounds, week in, week out, plus um, origins and internationals. So their, their, their bodies are hardened. They're, they are definite vets. And the young guys, you know, they come into the preseason and we beat them. We beat the shit out of them. We work them. We make them hard. We make them strong. We make them capable. We make them mentally tough. Um, we take them to that dark place. We show them what it's like to be out there on a field, you know, six minutes in NRL, 20 minutes in NRL, 40, 60, 80, and then with an extra time. And, you know, it's not a pleasant place if you're not prepped. Now, the thing with the young guys is they suddenly realise after round four, shit, i got to do this for another 22 rounds, you know, 
and it, and it dawns on them that it's not about the game. The game is the bonus. It's working the weak, making that body resilient and, you know, getting tenacity amongst that fiber and muscle and mentally being able to get up the next day and say, shit, I've got to do recovery. And the next day, now I've got to train. And the next day, now I've got to train at game speed. And these are the things that, that these vets and these, these uh, young guys are going through every day to stay at a threshold that's that's making it able for us to um, to compete at NRL level. How much has changed over the years, Donny, in terms of mindset, uh, in terms of mental uh, aptitude development? How, what have you seen change in in your career at NRL? Yeah, look, I think and 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 you know firsthand this yourself. I, over like when Des and I first started, you know, we would just whip them. And luckily for us, every other NRL team was just whipping them too. So we were all even. <laughs> and then, as, as you know, we, we used to run these drills, you know, like like you know, a couple of days after the, the, the game, sometimes, you know, a day before the game. But all the teams, Storm, everyone was doing it, you know. And then as we started bringing in um, different expertise, we started reaching out more. We wanted to, to know a little bit more in depth about how um, different sports recovered, how how high-end um, sports managed to get bang for buck. Um, I would definitely say the, league, the rugby league leads in that area now. Um, but back then, we were taking from everyone to find the best, from AFL, from from soccer, from tennis, from wherever, from wherever it was. The biggest change I've definitely seen is our ability to, our ability to grab live data. Now, we used to train... Um, incredibly hard and we used to cover every system and I think the the biggest sort of part of technology we had was that was polar at that time and polar gave us heart rate to effort but it didn't give us like heart rate um, variability it didn't give us a deeper set of uh, metrics that we could sort of look into the physiology so we used to just use that but you know what you had to you had to do the session then you had to go take all the stuff away and download the session and then that took like five hours to download and then the next morning you'd come in and say Oh, we fucking missed it, <laughs> you know. Or you look at it and say, "Oh, we did too much," you know. Now nowadays, everything's live. Everything's live time, so we don't miss things. You know, I can run out behind a player right now, and I know what Des is looking for, and I know what the coaches want, and he's behind by, you know, say he's behind the play by twenty meters. So everyone else is running around at a at a hundred and hundred and ten meters per minute, and I can see on live GPS that there's two players out there moving at 100. They're 10 metres behind everybody all the time. So I go out and I go bang, 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 and they catch up. They move up. So now instead of saying, right, you're going to have to make up that intensity, that speed, that effort, that repeatability somewhere so that I can be assured that it's inside your system, now I go out and bring them up to speed straight away. The same as if after the session I can grab them and say, boys, everybody's great. You three, not your fault because the drills didn't allow you to, but – you're 1.2 behind. And that's because the coaches pulled you out and made you do something else while you were doing that. But I need that 1.2. So this is how we're going to get it. So that live data feed, that available, that possibility of having everything right in front, same as indoor. Indoor now we work to, to we work to heart rates. Um, we work to calories, heart rates, distance or time, but it's all live, it's all measured. So we're never missing anything because if you don't, if I look up on the screen and your heart rate's not in that zone, I don't have to come looking for you tomorrow. I get you right now and I just go bang. So we're always on time and we're always there. So that was number one. Technology is number one. That's the number one. Um, number two 
is using um, bringing in external expertise to help us develop processes and and um, and strong structures around mindset. So, so we've we've looked at all the experts in the world, whether they be military, police, um, other sports, and we've found you know what works for them as as a high end performance. How do they keep their people on task? How do they recover their people? How do they? Uh, what type of exercises and and mental skills drills do they use? So. Um, as you know, with Afterburner, as you know, with um, other other professionals that we've brought in who um, who help with coaches and and process and systems, um, that's the other big big thing that we've that we've um, gone to. So, and it's and it's made a tremendous difference. Uh, and and again, the direct correlation between sporting team and business. You know, the the whole thing about using technology, having data, having data, measuring it and being able to respond immediately and not wait until the end of the quarter and go, oh crap, where's all my money? Because you haven't looked at your financials or something. And then the same thing, actually asking uh, people to come and actually come in and support you, give you knowledge, tools, uh, methods and strategies to actually apply within business as well. So they they directly translate between the two. And and, and look, you know, that's if you ever wanted to, um, you know, work with people who 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 you believe you know that they're, they're not at the line then that's how you do it you know you you show them you sit down and and you say listen let them convince themselves yeah you say look this this is where we are um this is where we're going and this is where you are now we need you it's no coincidence you're sitting here in this room with us you know you you have all these qualities and skills and 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 these abilities that have put you here but unless you can increase these two areas here of which I'm about to show you how, um, you, you're not going to be on that line. And, and, and once you're below the line, that means we've all got to sit back a bit. But when you, when you discuss it like that, when you show a genuine, um, a genuine interest in improving them, not just because, you know, the, the organization wants an end result. If you can sit down with individuals and say, no, this is about you, mate. This is, this is not the, fuck that stuff. Don't worry about that. But you're here. There's no way you want to be here without being, you know, the best you can be. But this is how we're going to do it. And I, and I really believe when you get people, um, yeah, and our athletes in particular, where we sit with them and we say, yeah, hey, the game, the game, the game's over there, mate. The game is is uh, is the end result. The game is a an accumulation of all these things that we're doing every day. The game looks after itself. But the last small win. Yeah, you need to be here. And this is how we're going to get there. And then, and then you can say to them, "Tell me, you know, what, what are the barriers? Why, why can't, why can't we get there? Yeah, you know, what, what, what's, what do you believe is?" And you go down that, and it's, it's all about coaching. It's all about coaching. Yeah, you know, we we coach when we run drills. We yell out the speed. We yell out the meters per second, the meters per minute. We encourage and drive. We tell them what the time is on the run. We tell them where we are in a game. You know, when they're getting up and down off the ga- off the ground, we don't just leave them alone. We tell them when you're up, take your first three steps. You know, accelerate. Um, when you accelerate, you produce more force. You have, yeah, you, you're you're able to um, produce more power. You're going to have um, really interesting insight there because you think of high performing corporate teams, business teams, and the, the level of coaching, the coaches per player in a, in real high performing environments is so high. You could, but you go into the average corporate environment or business environment. Where's the coach? No, no such thing. There are, there are a whole bunch of players creating the plays that no one knows what position anyone's playing. Everyone's running around for schoolboy football. No, a lot of times they don't wear they the, don't goal know where the goal is. They're just kicking 
the ball around. It, it's this ridiculous concept that you can be a high-performing corporate team but not have any coach or independent view or, or assessment of your performance. It's, it's absolutely uh, ludicrous. And, you know, if you want people to stay at that pointy end of intensity, if you want them to be familiar with that dark place where, where they just think, you know, fuck, I just want to get out of here. But you can show them how to get out. You can show them the way to get out of that dark place. And they can be in there and they can still hear you. And I see that every day when my guys are down on the ground and I know I'm looking at him and I know he wants to get up. You know, I, I think one of the greatest, um, the great, one of the philosophies amongst the coaches that I work with now um, that I'm really proud of is they, they, they don't believe in an athlete's failure. You know, we'll exhaust every, every process we have. And, and if an athlete is failing in an area or, or is struggling, say a skin fold or losing weight, then what we do is we look at all the processes we've put together um, and we look at all the people we've had work with that athlete and then, you know, something like that, if there's a barrier there, once we've exhausted our referral process, then and only then can we hand over. But up until then, that we own that. And, and, and you know, some people say, oh, you shouldn't do that because it makes them weak. That's bullshit. Because I'll tell you what, if you honestly believe that, you know, you want to think about that before you send those guys out onto that field and they bash the shit out of each other. <laughs> because... You know what the thing I love—I'll tell you what I love in games—is I, I, I love it when I hear comments about oh and so and so. You know, yeah, I'll get up and you know he's lying on the ground, and I don't think that's a concussion. Commentators are the worst at it; they're the bloody worst at the moment. You know, like half of them, you know, they're talking about someone. It looks like oh, that was just a love tap on the chin. Geez, you see the size of the hand that touched that chin? You know, just rubbish like that, where people who are disassociated for too long from the game. You know, I don't care about, mate, they, if, if any of them are watching this and they have a crack at me, it doesn't bother me because the fact is I make sure that I stay tight to my drills. I make sure that I still exercise myself. The reason I do that is so that when I send my men into a grid, into a drill, into an up-down, into a lift, in, in, into an isolated anaerobic aerobic phosphate depletion, I remember what that feels like. And I, and, I, and I can relate to them. And when I see exhaustion, I don't see that as weakness because I think, yeah, I remember when I used to piss my pants when I got to that point. Or I vomited at that point. And, and, you know, once you get away from being part of it for too long, some of these guys, you know, the, were they tough guys? Absolutely. Were they hard trainers? Absolutely. But I'll tell you what, 20 years, 30 years, if you haven't played the game, you know, and then you're making a comment about someone catching one on the chin, and saying that they should have been able to handle that, then you've forgotten your way, man. You lost your way. Really interesting part of leadership, that empathy, the, the ability to, to, to feel what other people feel. Donny, just going to go back to you for a sec, mate. Uh, this is about you. This is about the fuse. It's about you living your purpose. Obviously, you've chosen a career stream where there's no guarantees year to year. Uh, you're not on a bonus paycheck. Uh, you're... Uh, you know, people would perceive being a coach in this in this field is pretty stable, but it's not. What's it like to be in a career where you you are literally uh, having to perform for your job uh, year on year? And and what's what do you enjoy about that? Because obviously that you you've got to be a bit of a self flagellist mate, to get into that sort of a <laughs> career stream. All those things you just said is what's enjoyable enjoyable about it. You know, it's that. As you know, you know, um, I had a year off between the Bulldogs and coming back to the Sea Eagles and I, I worked for the NRL and I worked for New Zealand Rugby League um, while that year was off. 
but I also um, dabbled in some other areas, and I, I actually got offered, um, you know, a, a couple of good positions um, in the in the corporate. And it was my wife that said to me, "Look, you know, you're going to enjoy that, and you're going to enjoy that paycheck for about two months or a month and a half." She goes, and then I'm telling you, after that, your your patience and your, um, you know, you, you're going to have to start all over again all over again with your emphatic um, development and your, you know, and, and, and your interest in getting the people to be their best. Because one of the things with elite sport is the one thing that I know for a fact is that everybody who's there wants to be there. So, so I'm lucky. I'm lucky in that respect. Um, it's like recruits, you know, when you go through recruit school, the ones who don't honestly want to be there, well, they, they will, they'll find their own way out. But the thing about my job is that I get up every day and I, I, I just love the fact that it's it's challenging in how the hell am I going to get the best out of these these blokes? How am I going to get them to these levels that I want? So I've got to be clever and it makes me learn about science and it makes me engage with my physio and my sports scientists and my and and all these things, um, you know, they, uh, that's what excites me. That's what that's what that's what really motivates me and keeps me going. That's great. And and if uh, if you could obviously if you've you know if you've got a lot of experience under your belt and uh, if you could go back to we won't say um, little Donny we'll say younger Donny uh, <laughs> and um, a younger version of yourself and give you one piece of advice the most impactful piece of advice you've learnt in your journey and go and give that to your younger version of yourself. What would you say? I would say listen. And, and I'll tell you why I say that. I would say, listen, because um, I can remember when um, Ben Kennedy played for, for us, you know, back in 2004, I think it was, four or maybe five. And up until then, I was just uh, 100 miles an hour, hell bent, do it this way. Here I am, you know, be like me, you know, get in there. I'm a midget, but don't worry about it. You've got longer arms and legs, just make it happen. And, you know, sure, we used to go on runs. We used to go up to North Head. We didn't even stretch. We, I'd say, meet me up there at, at, at 6.30. They'd all turn up, get out of their cars, bang, the whistle would go, start running, you know. Oh, it's just a mad bastard. And so were they. They were all mad too. But I can remember one day um, uh, Ben Kennedy walked into the, into the, uh, the gym uh, and, and I don't know any anybody who's not familiar with, with Ben. He's about six foot three or four, and he, he's a mountain of a man. He's a big, big, and he played kangaroos and wallabies. Won a premiership. Played Origins. Yeah, he's a real top top player. He walks into me and he says to me, um, "We we just done this big field session, and it was the gym." And he walked into me and he said, "He said, I'm fucked." And I looked at him. You know, now the whole squad is with me, and we're about to start training. And he just looked at me and he goes. Mate, I'm, I'm empty. I haven't got anything. He goes, I I can't do this session this afternoon. He said, is there any way I could come back tomorrow early and we'll make it up? And I looked at him and I was like, what the, f- what the fuck is that? You know, because, <laughs> because I'd never had that before. I, I, that had never, no one had ever said that to me. And I was like, I'm looking at him, right? But as I'm looking at him, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm thinking he's a big bastard for a start. And then I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking wallaby, kangaroo, origins, um, probably that might have been his 12th or, or, or 13th year at first grade, uh, you know, experienced campaigner. This guy Hard. has done everything in the game and succeeded, you know. And I'm looking at him and I thought maybe I should trust this guy. Maybe he knows something about himself 
that I that I don't know. So I said to him, okay, I said, listen, you got to clear it with Des because I have a rule where no one can leave training unless you see, yeah, unless the head coach knows. So I said to him, I'm, I'm okay. I'll see you in the morning, six o'clock, but you got to, you got to check. So he did. And, you know, and, and, and he went home and I tell you the next day he was like a demon. He, he come in, he just tore the place apart. And I thought, shit, you're going to have nothing left for today. But he had a break, he refueled and off he went. And, and from that, that time on, you know, that sort of changed me a little bit in terms of looking at what I have in front of me, understanding the asset and just listening to what the question, exactly what they're saying. A younger me might have stopped at, I can't do it and not heard anything after that. A younger me might have heard, I'll come back in the morning. It was like, fuck off the morning. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, but I, I, yeah, and I'm glad for that moment. And that would that would help me be a hell of a lot more um, wise and choosing who I could trust. And look, were the young guys going to get away with that? No, they weren't. But definitely Menzies, Lion, um, what, as the guys got older. And Ben was great because he said to everybody, you know, as that got out that that sort of happened, he was out of it. He just said, anybody tries and bullshit him, then you deal with me. And that's the kind of leader he was. And um, so I would say, I would say, you know, when people are talking to you, man, watch and listen because if you, you know, man, there were times when people told me they were, they were tired, they are exhausted, not just fucking keep going. I mean, what's that? <laughs> I mean, asking a quick, you know, why? Oh, because we've run so far. Yeah, that's a keep going. But it could be I've got pain in my ankle. It could be anything. So open your ears and, um, and, and take a little bit of time to listen to what's been said and then put it into whatever perspective. Well, I reckon on that note, it's pretty powerful there as well. Yeah, we, we always hear about pulling the cotton wool out of your ears and stuffing it in your mouth. Uh, Donnie, mate, uh, part one. Uh, I think there's probably plenty more to go go through with your insights into uh, managing large groups of high-performing people. Uh, and it's an area, I think, uh, that many corporates should take the time to uh, listen to and, and really understand uh, that, uh, the role of a coach, the role of a mentor, the ability to to sit back and listen to the people. Because again, it's a little bit, I remember reading a survey somewhere that said 69% of employees believe leaders are in a leadership role for themselves, not for the people that they lead. And uh, and it's a really toxic, uh, toxic way to be. So, Mate, thanks so much, Donnie, for taking time out of your afternoon, mate, racing back for training to talk uh, to us. Really appreciate it, Donnie. Thank you. Hey, you're very welcome, boys. A great job you're doing. And, um, and, and look, I agree with you wholeheartedly about the corporate, you know, um, coaching. Uh, even, even me in my, in, my last, um, in my last five years, I've learned more about applying coaching techniques, um, you know, than, than ever. And uh, so I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And, and I strongly urge... Um, corporations and that if they want to grow and they want to get the best out of their people who they selected then um, start coaching on the floor man nice one thanks Donnie take care mate talk again soon this has been the few podcasts with Boo and Sean if you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us please share it with your friends if you're posting this on social media use the hashtag the few so we can see who's listening the few podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney Australia to listen to more episodes visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode dream big keep pushing and one day you can become one of the few we'll see you next week